0: everybody you are listening to the Church Theology Podcast, a podcast on the church for the church. My name is Kirk Miller and today I have with me a special guest, uh, one of our missionaries at Crossway, uh, Jeff and Meredith is not here, but Jeff is married to Meredith and Jeff and Meredith are our missionaries to Albania. Welcome to our podcast, Jeff.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a privilege to be here and yeah, I'm excited about this. I'm a longtime listener, first time guest.
0: Nice. Yeah. So we're glad to have you. I think this is uh, the cool thing about the age in which we live, like even 10 years ago being at another church. I was telling you before this, like just feeling, you know, we had missionaries and even being in leadership at that church, I'd never felt like super connected to the missionaries or even like I knew them very well. But with technology advancing, we have the ability to do video calls, you know, connect with people over email easily. And now even a podcast where the goal of this podcast really if you're listening to this is to try to provide an opportunity for Jeff to kind of share a profile of who they are and the ministry they do so it's just a meant to be a nice way for you guys who are listening to be able to get to know Jeff and Meredith uh, specifically Jeff here who's with us and uh, just learn more about their ministry and a nice way for you all to be connected to what they're doing on the missions field to know how to better pray for them.
1: Yeah, this is definitely uh, an opportunity that I'm sure someone like Adoniram Judson or, or those missionaries from hundreds <laughs> yeah. of years ago, would it would just boggle their minds. But it is an amazing opportunity to be able to communicate with people and keep them up to date as to how the Lord is working, because we have so many people, churches, uh, individuals, families who are... In different ways, partnering with what the Lord is doing. And to be able to kind of maybe sit on the second row yeah. and, and and hear a little bit more about what's happening on an ongoing basis because of technology is, is
0: wonderful. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So let's just start off by letting me just hear let us, myself and the listeners, hear more about you and Meredith and your family and just just who you guys are in general. Sure. So uh, I am married I'm married to
1: Meredith and we have three kids, Olivia, Jude and Liam. So we uh, left for the mission field, specifically the country of Albania uh, about five and a half years ago. so the summer of 2016. Uh, I grew up on the mission field myself, came back for college. Uh, went to Taylor University. That's where I met my wife, Meredith. And we got married after college. And missions was always on the radar screen. It was something that we were praying about, we were thinking about, we were talking about. But then life happens. And before you know it, we had three kids, we had a mortgage, we had a minivan, (laughs) student loans, Um, I actually, uh, after working a couple years when we got married, I ended up going to law school and uh, did three years of law school and then was working as a business lawyer uh, here in Milwaukee. And uh, basically through Crossway and through a small group that we were in, long story short, the Lord really made it clear to us that he wanted us to not simply think about missions, but actively take steps towards becoming a full-time missionary. Uh, What that meant for us, um, specifically with my professional background and Meredith's professional background, she worked in the mental health space. She worked at a psych hospital for 10 years. Those are things that I I think we'll get into later, but uh, they really formed who we were as missionaries and in many ways the ministries we were involved in. Uh, so we are just finishing up a, a home assignment, furlough as they used to call it back in the states, and we head back to Albania in just uh, a couple of weeks here, about six weeks. So, yeah, we're we we've been telling many people uh, about what the Lord's been doing in Albania, and uh, I'm excited to continue talking about that here. Yeah,
0: so that's how we had the opportunity to speak face to face, as you've been with. So Crossway is like your your sending church Correct. in that sense, and so you kind of been back in the states for almost coming up on a year now that's right that's right so we figured before you head out it'd be good to get some of this stuff recorded for any i'm thinking of even future members who maybe haven't had a chance you know say a year from now someone who comes to the church and hasn't had a chance to meet you guys hopefully this would be a cool way to get to connect with you, so you said you grew up on the mission field. Where where did your parents serve? Sure, I was born in Belgium
1: in Western Europe. I lived there for 15 years and then moved to Germany. So my dad was involved in theological education overseas. Okay, taught at a seminary, uh, but then also was very involved in, in a local church. Um, and um, then he also got into counseling and started the first uh, counseling Christian counseling center. In uh, Belgium. And so my childhood was basically Western Europe. Uh, And that's one of that. It's it was it was interesting because Albania, even though it's it's in if you, you may or may not know where Albania is, but it's in Southeast Europe. So it's right on the Mediterranean. Greece is kind of below us. And if you think of Italy as a boot, if the boot kind of kicked back, it would kick Albania right in the face. So that's kind of the location of, of Albania. And even though from a mile standpoint or a kilometer standpoint, it's not that far from Western Europe, it, it, is, it is thousands of miles uh, culturally. culturally, economically, in, in so many different ways. And so even though uh, being a missionary kid helped me in so many ways in terms of having a different perspective. And I think, at least for me, making the transition to Albania a little bit easier. Sure. Uh, it, it wasn't, it's, it's 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 apples and oranges in many ways.
0: Yeah, like it's not that, it was, you grew up on the mission field, but a different mission field. Correct, correct. Yeah, cool. Uh, well, tell us a little bit about Meredith as well. I know she's not here, but as much as you can fill us in on some of her background. Sure. So she grew up um in the Chicago area, spent a
1: couple of years in Northern Indiana, and then really for high school, uh, she was here in Milwaukee. And so for both of us, uh, our shared life was really here in Milwaukee. And then her a lot of her formative years in high school were here in Milwaukee. So even yeah. though we're not native Wisconsinites, um, and sleep just fine if the Packers lose, <laughs> uh, we do we do love Milwaukee. Uh, she worked at a psych hospital, as I mentioned, for ten years. Um, And she did some admissions and then also some business type of work along with insurance companies at that um, at that uh, psych hospital. So I would say that for her, especially now that we've been in Albania for about four or five years, starting to really put some pieces together in terms of how that background uh, can help meet some of the very tangible mm. needs that we've experienced over the with with our Albanian friends. There's there's trauma uh, not so far under the surface for most Albanians. Sure. I think probably more so than those in Western Europe and and the states. Um, whether that's abuse, whether uh, it's just the trauma of. Basically, just trying to survive every day and put food on the table, um, and and then the social problems that result from that, whether it's alcoholism, whether sure. whatever sort of family problems end up developing, and so uh, the church is not very well equipped in Albania to deal with those issues. And, and Meredith has uh, this year, while we've been back in the states, been able to do some some focused training as an investment, really in 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 the future of our ministry by. By giving her some extra tools and sharpening some ones that were there but maybe not developed.
0: Yeah, it's like you were saying. Um, within the last, you know, however long it's been, become clear how some of Meredith's background can be leveraged in the mission field. It just made me think like there's nothing within our lives that's an accident within God's providence. You know, and God utilizes all of our past experiences. Um, in ways that we didn 't necessarily expect, like and I think about like even your law background it sounds if I understand right, it sounds like you even use some of that in yeah. your context
1: absolutely the so. The thought that comes to mind is. If God can even use a lawyer, then <laughs> then there's hope for everyone. Yeah. Uh, but more seriously, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and maybe I can just give a, a short summary of some of the ministries we're involved in, because that would kind of paint a, sure. a better background. So we basically have two ministries that we focus on. The first is the local church. So Albania has had uh, Christianity for many millennia, really, even if you uh, think in Romans uh, 16, I believe it is. Yeah, That's right. I got that plaque. Yeah, right. yeah, Kirk has a plaque. It actually references um, Illyricum, which is modern day Albania. So Paul references uh, that location. But more recently, because of communism, especially from about 1940 to, um, to 1991, there was communism, very harsh communism. Think North Korea today.
0: Was it a part of the USSR or it was just its own thing?
1: It was its own thing. It was not part of Yugoslavia. It was not a part of the USSR. In fact, at one point, they pushed both China and the USSR away because they didn't feel like they were harsh enough and strict Mm. enough in their communism, which tells you how intense it was. And so because of that, one of the ways they did that was by having there be forced atheism. Mm. So there was no religion for basically 50 years. So when we think about the Christian church in Albania, even though it existed uh, millennia ago, it disappeared in just 50 years. And so out of communism, there were about 12 known underground believers. And so the church had to start from, from scratch really in 1991. Um, and so we're involved in a local church and have a desire to support uh, Albanian pastors. Right now, there's about 0.4% of the population who are believers. Let's say that's maybe 12 to 15,000 individuals. So I think from a missiological standpoint, the Albanian church is at a place of maturity where Albanians ought to be the ones who are the pastors. I think gone are the days for internationals to to, to be the pastors. That was the case in the 90s, and I think there's been a healthy transfer of
0: power. So it is so kind you know, of transfer of discipleship and, yeah, and shepherding. But the, the idea of like rather than maybe how just thinking if someone's kind of working from the assumption of like, hey, a, a missionary goes in and they serve as the pastor. Like that has happened in some contexts. So yeah. You're saying at this point, and maybe that's appropriate at times. But you're saying at this point in Albania's transition from kind of that into like its post-communist context, where that's you're right. seen the church kind of grow back is it's at a point where you have indigenous pastors. That's right. So you're just trying to come alongside, exactly, and equip them. So
1: even though they are at a place served, where they yeah. can, they ought to be, and they are the pastors. One of the areas of um, one of the gaps really is that a lot of those pastors don't have any training. Uh, And so, for instance, our church is, uh, we're probably a little larger than your average Albanian church. And we have about 30 to 35 on a given Sunday. So churches are small. Um, In our church, I would say that about... um, 80% of those, maybe 90% have become believers in the last 10 years and there are no Hmm. second generation believers. So when it comes to what does church look, look, look like, what does, uh, discipleship look like, what does fellowship look like? Um, what does church discipline look like? Yeah. Uh, either they've never experienced it or they've read a translated book on it. So sometimes that's really where I think missionaries right now, and I have a, I have a feeling this is probably the case in a lot of countries, this is where missionaries can, can serve that purpose and support. So I'm an elder at the church. At this point, it's just uh, uh, the, the head pastor and myself. Uh, we have an elder in training who hopefully in the spring will become an elder. Um, I preach occasionally. I do the budget I will s- sweep when it's my turn to sweep. So really, whatever we can. Yeah. Uh, and then we also do provide uh, some leadership for some of the outreach ministries. So Meredith and I, just based on the fact that we're Americans and English is our first language, uh, we can kind of be that shiny object when it, when it comes to an English outreach. English language um, outreach.
0: Like teaching people English as a second language or Yeah, something. that's right. Yeah.
1: So we have a very good uh, response when we advertise that. And we very much see it as we're meeting a, a felt need. But more than that, it's a great way to develop relationships. Over half of the believers in our church became a believer through an initial English as a second language uh, contact through our church. So it has been very effective. So that's that's one side of the ministry. The the other side is something that really I'm I'm involved in, and less so Meredith. And it goes to something I was saying before, which is, and and you'd uh, referenced, which is uh, our background, specifically my background as a business lawyer, um, is unique slash weird for for kind of what you would think of as a typical. Missionary. I think most people probably think of missionaries as either being church planters involved in education somehow, Uh, and I—that's that wasn't my fit. I'm actually going going uh, taking some seminary courses right now. My background is as a as a dumb lawyer, (laughs) and so the question really, when God first called us, very clearly, I was very open to it. He had been working on our hearts, but one of the questions I had was. Does this mean I need to go to seminary? Lord, I, I, I'm a lawyer. What, what does that mean? And really replace that for you listeners with whatever you are if you're not in full-time ministry. Yeah. Or even if you are in full-time ministry. Maybe you don't feel like that. Uh, there's a place for you. But I'm here to say that there there is a place. In fact, I think that the future of missions is going to look more like people like me than maybe a traditional missionary, meaning a church planner or someone involved in education. And I think usually when people say that, what they mean is, well, it provides access to restricted access countries. Yeah,
0: you can get a work visa or something.
1: And, and actually, that's great. I don't actually even mean it in that regard because, for instance, in Albania, uh, visa pro- is, is not v- obtaining a visa is not an issue. So... The But the reason I think it's helpful is because there are people who typically the local church, at least this is the case in Albania, does not do a good job of reaching. So I'm thinking people in specific sectors of society, maybe it's doctors, nurses, people in the arts, people in the sciences, uh, in my case, people who are in the business world and the legal world. Our church and many other churches aren't doing a good job of reaching those people. And so be, through my background and through the ministry I'm about to talk about, we're able to build a bridge, a very natural bridge into those communities. And uh, those communities are also not naturally going to walk into an evangelical church. Yeah. So it's a really a way of expanding the influence of, of the the local church in Albania, so the ministry is with uh, a, a an organization called Link Across, and basically the approach for Link Across is um, we do projects in communities. We focus on economic projects. We focus on healthcare projects, and the yeah, the idea is basically to do things with excellence, to make a difference in our communities, uh, but then also through that to develop long term trusting relationships with people who would not normally and naturally uh, interact with those in the local church. So the way I think of it here is, um, you know, Kirk, you, you, I think, would have, you and Dan would have relationships with people here in Milwaukee that other people in the church might not have relationships with. Mm -hmm. You have a key that opens some relational doors. And just like that, the other people at Crossway uh, and people who aren't in full-time ministry have other keys to, to, uh, to open from a relational standpoint. And, uh, so at link across specifically, one of the things that we're involved in just based on, uh, understanding what the needs are in Albania right now is we do some training with, with, uh, business owners, with entrepreneurs, um, help train them, mentor them. And then ultimately, if they have a, a good business idea, we'll provide them a loan, a micro-loan. Hmm. And so the idea with with that, for, for that Link Across project, is really looking around and understanding that that is a felt need. Um, there's only one country in the world besides Albania that has a higher percentage of its youth wanting to leave the country, mm-hmm. and that's Haiti, the country of Haiti, and mm-hmm. um, Haiti's gone through, just continues to get pounded with yeah. natural disaster after natural disaster. And and so in some ways to be second behind Haiti in those type of metrics is, is not a good thing because no, it's a very desperate no. situation in Haiti. But about 70% of the youth in Albania uh, would leave in a heartbeat if they were given the opportunity. And that's that comes from a place of economic desperation. Uh, and so... There's the idea that, that we have of trying to meet that felt need and through that, in both word and deed, to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, um, I definitely don't think that's the only way, yeah, but it is one that I am uniquely equipped at, and uh, doing it in partnership with a local church is what I think makes it work. Uh, because our desire is to ultimately share the gospel and we do in in the context of one-on-one relationships and if there's any interest we're able to connect them to a local church so in many ways i see us as uh, even though we are a para church we're we're just tentacles extending from the local sure, church yeah. to to try to bring people in.
0: yeah right so it's neat to see like i think it can be an encouragement to people that god has gifted people in different ways and um, through ex- different experiences, as well as skills, even training, you name it. Lots of different ways God has made us who we are. And that ministry is not a one-size-fits-all sort of a p- approach. Like like someone's going to—in there. Are, in other words, we can have sort of stereotypes of what a certain type of ministry is to look like. Missions, evangelism, in ministry in the church, you name it. And it's just a good—your your, guys' life is a good example to show like how God can use us in creative ways, you know, faithful to the gospel, appropriate to biblical convictions, um, that even the fact you guys are you know, doing your ministry connected to a local church, you're able to kind of funnel people into that body of believers, um, but finding creative ways to use who you are that maybe, maybe are a little bit outside of the box of what we typically think of. And I think that maybe could be an encouragement to someone listening to think of like, how has God equipped you, gifted you, experiences you've had, or maybe you can serve in ways that are not, you know, the stereotype of what you might think ministry is limited to.
1: That's right. An interesting story that I think uh, underscores that point. I think there's people in our in disciples church, that's the name of the local church that we serve in uh, or at in Albania. Uh, there's many dear friends at disciples church who probably Still don't completely understand what I'm engaged in and the work I do with Link Across. <laughs> what does Jeff do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they, I, I don't think they get it because they're uh, so all in in this local church that just naturally they would think, well, of course I would. You know, that Jeff should be full time here at this local church. However, there is a a couple that became believers through the church about two years ago, and they've become dear friends. And, um, I was talking to the wife and the wife is, uh, she works in finance for the government and it's, it's kind of ironic because immediately she was like, well, absolutely. That's what you should be doing. You should be out in those sectors of society in order to bring people Mm. to the church. I almost think that because she had just become a believer, uh, she had a different perspective as to maybe how she came to the faith. Yeah, she yeah. had a different perspective as to the way that the church interacts with society. Uh, and so I just thought that was interesting that she understood the the approach more so than many of the people in the church yeah. who who maybe it's not like they're antagonistic by any means, uh, but they just probably don't completely understand it. Yeah, um, and, and that actually gets me to something else that I, I get really excited about, which is this tie between your faith and your profession and your work. And this is this is what what you were referencing too. God can use so many uh people's giftings and backgrounds and one of the things we do through Link Across is we'll bring believers from the states, typically maybe businessmen or women to help serve on some of our projects. And it's so interesting because a lot of them have gone on a short-term mission trip before. But maybe they've done the more traditional type of uh, mission strip where, uh, they're painting a, 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 a building, they're doing VBS. Yeah, and, yeah. and I don't mean those things pejoratively at all. Like that, those can be used right. uh, to advance the local mission without a doubt. But when, uh, to a person, whenever they, uh, are get plugged into the work that we do, because it's utilizing their skill sets, their backgrounds, their professions, uh, you see them kind of come alive a little bit, yeah. And th- and they s- they start connecting the dots between the vocation that the Lord has given them mm-hmm. and
0: His work uh, among the nations. Like maybe even back when they return home, like wait, yeah. if I can do that here, who's to say I can't utilize these sort of things, like uh, replicate some of this when I'm back home That's in right. the states? That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, it's neat. I think it's an encouragement. Like we're all living on mission. Obviously, God calls us vocationally sometimes to more. To ded- dedicate ourselves more fully to specific things, like maybe as a missionary or as a paid paid elder pastor, but all of us have. There's a benefit to. I, I think even as I'm thinking about what you're talking about, it just shows the benefit of even having like people on your elder team at a church who aren't who aren't necessarily paid to do that full time, who work regular mm-hmm. jobs, you might say, and can bring that uh, leverage some of those things and some of those opportunities. I'd love to hear more about um, your guys's maybe for lack of better words, about how we typically talk about it, calling to, mm-hmm. to missions, um, kind of maybe how you came to Crossway Community Church, how you, you got um, introduced to our church. And then like you talked about how through, I know you've mentioned how through a small group, God mm-hmm. really worked on your guys' heart to get you to think, uh, take more seriously, I guess you could say that that kind of thought that was always in the back of your mind and really entertain it. Yeah. So walk us through some of that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's, it's a joy to walk through that because it's a good way for, for me to remember the way that the Lord so clearly led and his grace in, in doing that. So we when I was in law school, it was at the University of Wisconsin, Madison. So we were uh, over that direction and uh, knew accepted a job here in Milwaukee, back in Milwaukee because we lived here prior to law school. And we knew we wanted to get plugged into a local church pretty quickly, so we'd kind of narrowed it down to three different churches based on recommendations from friends. Uh, there was a, a family that was here at, at Crossway who were had been good friends for a long time, and they they spoke very highly of Crossway. So that was the first church we visited, and uh, we we'd never checked out the other two. Uh, that would have been in basically early summer of two thousand nine.
0: So that was short. The Crossway was planned in 2000, in spring 2008. So that's correct. Yeah. So So it was about a year and a half
1: in or just under a year and a half in. Uh, And really, our time at Crossway was characterized by intense growth for us. And just uh, I'd say almost a different way of of seeing our faith, definitely a revitalization of um, our faith and so we are, we will always be thankful to the Lord's work, uh, through Crossway in those early years. Um, we, I became a, a lay elder, um, at Crossway. And then we also led a small group and we ended up leading this, the small group for about five years. And it, uh, there was a lot of an uncharacteristic amount of consistency in terms of the the people who were in the group. So we were able to develop really deep relationships, like year after year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. With with some people going in and out, but generally the same core uh, group of people. One year, we decided to read David Platt's book Radical. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever read that. Our experience in reading it was. Uh, I would I characterize it as we kind of wrestled through the book. Yeah. Um. In that there are some things he says that we were just kind of just wrestling through. Is this right? Is he overstating it? Is he not uh, stating it um uh correctly? But that's that's good. That's if you're only reading books that you completely agree with, I think you're missing out. Yeah. And I do believe that uh, some of David Platt's statements were intentionally you know, he puts it at a nine so that knowing you're at a three so that you hear it at a six (laughs) and we heard it at a six or a seven. And one of the things he does at the end of the book is he has a, uh, a challenge for, especially for small groups reading through it. And it's called the radical challenge. And basically he he says, Hey, for a year, um, why don't you as a, as a, as a group commit to doing a number of things, commit to each reading through the Bible, uh, the whole Bible in a year individually commit to uh to actually uh off giving your full tithes and offerings and and giving sacrificially um some other items too that i don't remember but one of them was to intentionally together spend about two percent of your year which basically is like a week in a context other than your normal context so he wasn't saying go on a short-term mission trip but uh, that would definitely fall into that or maybe it's just go to a different part of the city and, and serve. Yeah. So I, I had the idea and, and challenge of the rest of the group. Basically, hey, what do you guys think about taking a short term mission trip together? and all of us leave our kids back and for a week we go and visit one of the missionary partners that Crossway has and i knew it was going to be something where either if everyone was on board it was going to be great but if we had one couple who was unsure I, I i was expecting it to not happen then yeah but the lord really kind of worked in everyone's heart to 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 provide a sense of unity of like yeah you know there was some trepidation, but ultimately everyone was on board, and so we ended up going to Honduras and visiting a uh, a missions partner of Crossway down there. And many God spoke to people and in, uh, in many different ways during that trip through different experiences. Personally, for me, from the very beginning, and the only thing I really took away from that trip, that the, the loudest thing I heard was God just simply saying. Okay, I have your attention. (laughs) You're outside of your normal context. You're outside of the busyness of work of of three young kids, of the hustle and bustle of the states. Are you ready to listen to me? Because I want you to stop simply considering uh, full time foreign missions. I want you to actually take some steps towards that. It, it was, I would not say it was an audible voice, but it was a, a, a firm, a very firm, strong impression uh, that, that was quite clear. And Meredith experienced the same thing, which was noteworthy. And so really within a month or two, we started taking some some steps, not knowing what, what would end up. But basically our prayer all along was, Lord, if closed doors, if this is not meant to be, mm-hmm. if we see open doors, uh, and and we see you move to to open what we see as being locked doors. Um, we'll keep going, yeah. and and really, uh, he did. We had many. Um, my wife spent six months in Albania in college. She kind of stopped out for a semester and ended up serving in Albania as a as a um, short term uh, missionary. And so, really, from that point on especially once we got married. We had we supported missionaries in Albania. We had some relatively deep ties to Albania and to the Albanian people. And so when we sensed the Lord calling, it wasn't that hard to know that Albania would most likely be the, um, the place we would go.
0: Sure, yeah. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Um, as you, I know you've already kind of given us a little bit of an overview of your mission work in Albania. Is there anything else you'd like to fill out um, in terms of what that looks like, what you guys do on a on a daily, weekly, monthly, annual basis?
1: Yeah, I'd say really our our ministry at our local church is uh is is one of the two key ones and the Link Cross is the other one. For the local church, we we move to the neighborhood that the local church is in. It's a neighborhood church, meaning everyone lives within a couple hundred yards of the church. Yeah. Albania or The capital city where we live, Tirana, is very densely populated. So it's very much a neighborhood type of city. Uh, And so in our neighborhood, there's about 50,000 people. And so it's it's pretty demarcated in terms of major streets. So the church was planted about a year and a half before we got involved. uh, And it was specifically planted for that neighborhood. Gotcha. So it's been interesting to... I guess I've just been struck, especially uh, when we were here in Milwaukee, just how difficult a neighborhood focus uh, can be in, uh, or even a south side focus uh, can be for church like Crossway. Yeah. Only because people can easily live 30 minutes away, 40 minutes away. And so it's just hard to have that focus. And even if you all want to be able to live in some sort of community with each other, um, it takes a lot of intentionality to make that happen. And so if you have to go more than a mile, it might as well be 20 miles. And that's one of the beauties of uh, the, the neighborhood feel of this church is that if we go to the supermarket, we're likely to run into someone. Yeah, that's right. Really um, so I'm saying all that because our church ministry has definitely been uh, it's almost a whole life type of ministry. It's not just, oh, okay, we have this event, but uh, lots of fellowship with the other church members and people that we're reaching out to because they're all right in that um, neighborhood.
0: Yeah. What would you say are some of the uh, greatest difficulties you have in minist- in your ministry context in Albania?
1: Yeah, that's a good one. <clears throat> I would say... Um, I'd say one of the difficulties, and, and we're coming off of the, our first term, it was a long term, it was about four and a half years, but uh, I think these difficulties would probably characterize many missionaries' first term. So I think it might be helpful for, for the listeners to understand that, because I'm sure most listeners will will have friends who are missionaries, and maybe this will help you be able to uh, know what to say when you're reaching out to them. But I think isolation and, and uh, loss of identity is a big one. So, for instance, when when we went over, especially because we went over um, after uh, we weren't we weren't in our early 20s, (laughs) we were in our mid 30s. And so we had an identity here Um, for a lot of people. If you would say my name or we can apply this to anyone else, you things come to mind, Mm -hmm. certain qualities, um, capabilities, personality traits. Comes to mind, and you're able to articulate yourself for the most part. You're able to converse without a problem. When you go over to a different country and try to start learning the language, that all gets stripped away, and you can, at best, in those first couple months, communicate like a toddler. And no one knows anything about you. They don't. You're no different than the next uh, foreigner, and. It, it, it just it can be trying and difficult, especially if you've had um, some success in, in a career or in school or, or any sort of success to be able to, to, to be put in a position where you're utterly dependent on the Lord. And uh, it really you have to have a firm conviction that the Lord has called you there. Uh, and, uh, and I would say another difficulty is can be loneliness in that obviously it takes a while to develop uh, relationships and friends anywhere you go but you add a cultural and linguistic element right. and barrier to that, it becomes uh, quite difficult. And um, so I'd say Meredith and I over the last, uh, during our four and a half years, in our, during our first term, we really were able to get a much better understanding of those things that we each need in our life to help us to uh, to, to actually thrive. Um, whether it's a really close relationship with another usually in our case, another American, someone where there's no cultural barriers, um, in Albania, uh, and for, for both me and for Meredith, that has been huge, um, exercise, (laughs) physical, uh, exercise has been much more important for us during that, those four and a half years than I think it ever was before, um, so you're, a, you're yeah. a big runner, right? Yeah. Well, I enjoy running. <laughs> I don't know if that means I'm a big runner, but I do enjoy running. And that honestly developed during my time in Albania. I think I look back and I, it it started my second year of language learning. So we took about uh, between 18 and 24 months to learn Albanian. And you see great strides in the first, really the first year. And then it slows down. You're still learning. But you don't see those same yeah. strides. Love and so, machine returns. Absolutely. And for someone like me, where I'm very goal oriented and I need to see progress, unconsciously, I started then running where. You, you can get some of that. Yeah, <laughs> you can get, yeah. get some of that, like the adrenaline of making a goal and meeting it, just like the adrenaline I had the first year of of learning language and seeing, you know, words and uh, grammar flow that wasn't flowing a couple uh, weeks ago or months ago. Uh, so, yeah, loneliness and then uh, lack of identity, I think, were two of the most difficult uh, aspects during our first term.
0: Yeah. What would you say? Um, have there been any sort of expectations that you had that have been uh, different than like have you have your experiences been any uh, bit different or what would you say have been, has been different than your expectations on the field?
1: Yeah, I, I'd say the I'd say I don't know if this was an unmet expectation. But I think it is a, a unique difficulty or something that's much more difficult than I thought it would be. And it it actually relates to uh, preaching and teaching in Albanian. And just the difficulty of, I forget who exactly came up with it, but there's that scale in missiology of, kind of c- cultural distance, and then oh, and sure. it's like the, the C0, the C1, yeah, yeah, C2, yeah. C3. Right. And so C0 would be no cultural distance. So it would be when, let's say, Kirk is preaching at Crossway. For the most part, there's really no cultural distance. C1 might be if you go to, uh, let's say, uh, a, a, a another church in maybe the north side and you'd preach, or you'd preach in an ethnic, community, ethnic church or something like that. There'd be a little bit more distance, but on the on the whole, you'd be able to communicate. Still American,
0: still English speaking, but but maybe coming from a slightly different cultural cultural difference. Yeah,
1: Uh, and then as you progress up the scale, the cultural distance widens, and so even though I speak Albanian quite well at this point, um, even though I feel like I'm putting putting in the interpretive work. Uh, in for the passage uh, and trying to understand what's the original what was the intended meaning by the author how would that have been received by the original audience and then that last step that you typically make is then what does that mean for your for, for your audience yeah. for those for the hearers that are going that you're going to be speaking to well in this case there's an extra layer because i need to then also understand well what how is that going to be processed by an Albanian audience? Yeah. And there are different connotations to things. There are entirely different uh, ways of thinking. It's much more of a circular um, reasoning than it is, than it is like a a logical um, linear, linear type of thinking. And so that has been difficult because sometimes I think I'm communicating, but maybe I'm not. (laughs) They, (laughs) They understand the words that are coming out of my mouth, but maybe sometimes not the thoughts And the intentions behind those words. Yeah. So that's, that's been difficult. I I don't know if that's been an unmet expectation, but I think probably so. I think I had an expectation that that would be much less difficult than it actually is.
0: Or maybe I can ask, I feel like I didn't ask that question like terribly precisely, but even, or if it's even just like things that you uh, didn't expect that you had to adjust to Mm. once you got on the mission field um like things you had to learn on the way that you weren't necessarily or maybe even plans that have changed or yeah. anything like that.
1: Well, for us uh, there there were significant plans that changed that changed. Um I I think of a, a story when we were raising support, we interacted with uh some friends of my parents and he he was a lifelong uh, missionary and had raised his support uh for, you know, had been raising support for 40 years. And so we sat down with him and he said, "Uh, tell me your tale of woe and what it is you think you'll be doing. (laughs) Meaning he was like, give me your spiel and then tell me what you think you'll be doing. doing And then at the time I thought, oh, how how cynical is that? Well, the reality is uh, that very much was the case. Our intention was to move to Albania and just be in Albania for a couple of years and then move next door to the country of uh, Macedonia, where there's a sizable Albanian minority, about 25 or 30% of Macedonians are ethnically Albanians. And among those 600,000 Albanians in Macedonia, there is no existing church. There's no small groups. There's maybe 10, 12 known believers. And so our desire was to really reach that unreached people group Long story short, our team, um, the team that we were going to join ended up not being there anymore uh, when we were ready to join them. And uh, the, the missionary field among Albanians in North Macedonia has historically been kind of a graveyard for missionaries. I think that uh, Satan has a stronghold on the Albanians, and there's there's always something serious that ends up coming up with pretty much every missionary mm-hmm. that's there within a year or two. So uh, on the advice of many people that we sought counsel from, um, we decided not to go to Macedonia by ourselves. And in fact, many people said you need, uh, we would recommend at least 10, 12, 15 years of experience elsewhere, preferably in Albania, before you try to give Macedonia a shot. So yeah, we, we, we had certain expectations that were unmet, yet the the Lord was so faithful in the way that he opened doors and l- very clearly led, and I think protected us from what could have been a, a serious uh, situation for our family if we had gone by ourselves.
0: Yeah, not off the radar permanently, but Correct. at least just how God led things at the moment. Correct. Well, so on the other side, if we're talking about difficulties or expectations that have shifted... What would be some of the greatest joys that you've had that you experience on the mission field or in in doing cross-cultural mission work?
1: Yeah, I would mention two of them one is is maybe the obvious one of seeing God work, seeing new life in Christ um, that that never gets old um, and we've seen God work and change people's lives and and uh, mature people and then also take people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And and that is a, a, a just an unbelievable joy to be able to uh, be used in that way and to be able to be on the front lines. I'd say the second thing is it's been such a joy to be able to experience the, the very positive aspects of other cultures um, and aspects of culture that we might not be cultural fortes here in the States. And it's been a joy just to be able to kind of bask in that. So for instance, what I'm thinking of is Albania is very much just like many other countries, uh, a relational culture. So there's more coffee shops per capita in, in Tirana, Albania than anywhere else in the world. Hmm. And that's really that, that speaks to how important relationship And fellowship is to Albanians, they will drop anything and everything in order to talk to you and to interact with you. So for instance, uh, Meredith has a story where she was having coffee with someone, they had taken some time during their lunch break. To have coffee with her. And at one point, Meredith asked, do you need to get back to work? Is it is it time for you to get back to work? And she was almost offended.
0: Like, how dare you assume that yeah. I don't care enough about you? Exactly, yeah, yeah.
1: exactly. Which, can you imagine, that? I mean, it would be the exact opposite here. It'd be like, ah, oh, like constantly checking the watch. Right. Like, yeah. I gotta get back because ultimately... I got to be efficient today, and this
0: is not part of my efficiency yeah. plan. And for we the think day. we're caring for the other person in our context. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, this is our culture. Yeah, uh, and, we, and we are, right? We are caring. Yeah. If I say, hey, you know, I think before we started this podcast, I asked you, like, when do you need to be done? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I want to care about, you know, your time. And, but in that culture, it's, it's not that the one is right or one is wrong, Correct. but like, based on those, um, those values, yeah. um, that gets expressed differently. That That's gets right. expressed of, like, no, I'll put that aside for the sake of spending as much time as I need to with you. Yeah.
1: And I think when it comes mm-hmm. to those cultural values, what you said is right on. It's not right, it's not wrong, it's just different. Mm-hmm. And so there's no judging happening. I think there are consequences that flow from each of those, so yeah. positive the, and negatives. Yeah, so the reality is uh, America is quite a productive country and that does stimulate the economy and there's a reason that that all major uh industries uh, and any sort of innovation is is rooted here in the states. I mean, that's just it, there's a reason Silicon Valley is in the states, and not yeah, elsewhere. Yeah. Now there is a lack of of that sort of uh, innovation and work ethic in Albania, without a doubt. Um, but there is tremendous richness uh, in the relationships and the depth of relationships that many Albanians have. That I think yeah. sometimes. It can be lacking here.
0: And I think we in the States at times maybe don't totally realize this, but I think some people do. I at least, I feel like I do, is like almost like you wish we could like just let's slow the pace down and just like take time to smell the roses. As you say, like we're so fast paced. There's a lot of anxiety. People like a lot of people struggle with anxiety in the States. Yep. And for, it's like for as productive and affluent as we are, why do we struggle so much with you know, so much mental health and things like that.
1: And it's interesting because I think oftentimes uh, in other cultures, they get a lot done. It's just not planned that far ahead. And so in Albania, if I wanted to meet with someone, even if I want to have a a meeting with um, Pastor Marcel, who's the pastor at our church, and if I tried to schedule it for two days from now, he'd be like, talk to me tomorrow. Like, we're not going to schedule that out. Like, it's just not done. You just don't schedule more than 24 hours ahead. Which was quite a change of pace for someone like me who, when I was practicing law, I was working at a, a, a law firm where, and this was common practice in the, in, in the legal industry, you bill in six-minute increments, in tenth-of-an-hour increments. So you go from billing six-minute increments to not being able to plan ahead 24 hours ahead, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's just a total change. But there's, yeah. there's a lot of uh, value and, and goodness there. So that's definitely something that's been a joy.
0: Yeah, while we're on cultural uh matters, I'd love to just kind of um tap into your cross-cultural experience. W- what cross-cultural lessons would you would you think you'd be able to share to our American church context in terms of things that you would say you've learned through the cross-cultural experience, strengths and weaknesses you see in our in our context, our cultural context, things we can learn from the Albanian church. Maybe just riff on some of that for a while.
1: Yeah, uh, and I guess my disclaimer would be, uh, I'm by passport I'm an American, and from like externally you would never know that I'm not you know a red blooded American. Yeah. But there there because I grew up overseas, there's many aspects of the American culture I just don't get. Yeah. So I I would say that in some ways my viewpoint. Uh, is just as limited as
0: everyone else's. Yeah, I mean, we, you can't speak obviously omni- omnisciently yeah. <laughs> to these things. You're just one one guy. But you're but yeah. you're also saying even on top of that, you you grew up in in Belgium. Belgium yeah, and then how, yeah. so how many years did you spend in America?
1: Uh, so we would come back. We came back on furlough for one full year, and then a couple summers. And then really, at the age of eighteen, going to college was the first time I was really back in the states. Yeah. Um. So at this point, I've spent more more of my life outside the States than I have in the States. Uh, But I I, I think one thing that, um, especially this past year, I've I've just been very cognizant of and I think I've observed, is there is a richness that develops when a a very small percentage of a population in the country are believers. Mm -hmm. There's a unity that develops. Because you for the most part and there's exceptions but for the most part you cling to each other right because of the truth of the gospel full stop yeah <laughs> okay do you are there secondary and tertiary uh and lower rung issues that you might disagree on yeah. yeah absolutely yeah but there's not the quote unquote luxury of saying we're going to break fellowship over that because there's 0.4% of the population who are believers and you need the, all, all the unity and fellowship and support that you can get. So I definitely see, um, and there's, there's, there's exceptions, but I definitely see that as being a strength. Um, I think in the States, sometimes, uh, that can be, that can play itself out too intensely of those divisions on minor issues. Um, but on the flip side, there is a tremendous strength uh, based on just the, the depth of the church here and the depth of resources within the church that exists yeah. that is is lacking uh, in, in you know, abroad. Um, so that's definitely something I've noticed is just the uh, the tendency for tribalism that I've seen, especially recently within the Christian, the, the evangelical church. Um, I I would say something else that's that's been noteworthy has been the influence that I think the uh, evangelical church in the States has that they don't even realize that they have as it relates to um, the rest of the the Christian, the global Christian church. So an example of this would be when when COVID hit, we were in Albania, there was a a very intense lockdown, um, meaning. Tanks rolling rolling through the streets, and uh, we couldn't leave our house except for an hour to get groceries, and we had to get government approval for that. So quite a different experience than here. Yet some of the uh, positions that certain influential pastors within the evangelical uh, uh, churches took in the states as it related to how they w- would interact with government regulations— mm-hmm. Th- those were being watched very closely by uh, Christians around the world. And in some ways it might not be fair to those pastors in the States because every situation is different. So even the situation here in Wisconsin was different than the situation in New York or California. Right. So if there's a pastor in California who's acting a specific way and maybe taking a stand in a, in a specific way as it relates to government regulations. Yeah. Um, that's a very localized set of facts, right. but that influence, th- th- those nuances, maybe aren't being translated, <laughs> translated yeah. and, and heard. Yeah, and so I don't know exactly what to do with it, but I do. It was noteworthy to me how closely Albanian Christians, in some ways, in an unhelpful way, were listening to pastors in the states as it related to very kind of local and context specific issues yeah, and i just think yeah. it's something to be to, to, to note um yeah that's something to note yeah
0: that's interesting i know i've spoken to canadian pastors who have said likewise in their mm. with canada us, yeah us being not far and some of the influence that some more popular pastors can have like with online and how much influence that kind of spreads abroad so yeah, that's yeah, an interesting observation um what's it been like coming back to like in terms of things that have stood out to you about the American culture coming back for this year. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just things that we might not, we might just take for granted having, you know, kind of like fish and water. We don't even notice it around mm-hmm. us, but what would, maybe some things that you've noticed about our culture um, on this return trip.
1: Yeah. And, and maybe they're not even cultural observations as just uh, maybe more logistical observations. I mean, I know the first time I came back within the first 24 hours, mm-hmm. My top three observations were, wow, the roads are so wide. <laughs> um, wow, everything is so expensive. And then, hmm. wow, people are so nice. Huh. And so that says probably more about Albania than it does <laughs> the States. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. But those are kind of the first things that that hit you, or at least that hit me. Uh, I do think that I'd be interested in Meredith's answer to this because as a missionary kid – this is kind of what we did, right? We'd come back, we'd switch between cultures, come back to the States. You got used to it. So I got used to it and I kind of knew what to expect. Yeah. Um, if there's anything that struck me, it was uh, just, yeah, America is a very comfortable and convenient country. And and that mm. was a sweet relief for us because in Albania, it is so incredibly difficult to just do very basic things. So for instance, the the percentage of your life that you have to spend just dealing with the basics is way higher in albania than it is here and by that i mean paying bills and just like the very basic things you get get the car register get the emissions test right those have been made very uh convenient for us yeah um so even yesterday i had to get a, a tetanus booster before i go back and uh you know blog online walgreens
0: Subscribe. Like, go. Get, make an appointment. Fifteen minutes yeah. later,
1: I'm there. Super efficient. Yeah. Um. And and so I think that that's an observation related to America, but that really ties into I think culture too because we have an expectation now of convenience and culture, right, yeah. and I think even in Christianity, hmm. um, there is this expectation of ease, of convenience. And I would say that maybe from a spiritual standpoint, one of the things I've noticed is that there's almost an expect there's almost a, a thought that when things get difficult, somehow there's like persecution happening be, yeah, 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 or someone's yeah, out to yeah. get them. And it's like, I mean, I, I'm not denying that that might be the case, but uh, you're also used to a certain level of just. Ease, yeah. <laughs> so that I isn't present
0: the convenience piece is interesting because even as people approach church, like how much does our culture of convenience shape our ex- expectations of what's required of us as members, and you know what my relationship is to the church? I'm kind of a consumer. Um, I think <clears throat> what's interesting is I wonder how much that also ties into the tribalism piece you mentioned, mm. where it may be I see, I kind of I mean I I'm very discouraged by a lot of the divisions that are happening over the last. Um if tribalism has always existed in America it feels like it's only increasing in the present moment and I'm very discouraged by folk, by the fact that there's a lot of folks who would agree theologically but can't seem to put like work through some of those differences or mm-hmm. put them in their proper you know um proportion um but that might also have to do with convenience like we're used to social media where we can kind of friend who we want and follow who we want but you don't get to pick who your fellow members in a church are yeah. you know and that's within god's providence of the people that the gospel saves and brings into fellowship with you you don't get to hand select those people and those people might you might you might find those people annoying yep. and they might have some bristling differences with you and you're meant to work those things out but our maybe our culture of convenience is also one of the things that contributes to our culture of tribalism we would just we want a church where everyone not only thinks the same way theologically but also th- thinks the same way about social issues or Certain preferences within the style of a church, or what have you.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. Um, I, I would also say more on the positive side because I don't want to just um, be dun, be dashing. Yeah. yeah, the 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 <laughs> states. Um, I mean, it has struck me um, there is an incredible depth to Christianity in 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 not not super broadly, but definitely in in pockets. And there is a uh, they're tremendous resources and by that mean both monetarily but also by that I mean uh, whether it's books, whether it's training um, and that is lacking both of those are lacking in, in other places um, sure sure. Uh, so I take Albania as an example very much lacking and one of the things I'll, I'll just share that I've been wrestling through and, and I don't know I don't know where I've landed on this but it's this issue of how sustainable ought, local quote unquote, indigenous churches how, how how sustainable ought they to be financially um the wealth disparity is enormous between the west and a country like albania so even though all of the the members as far as i know at the at the church uh, at disciples church uh tithe sacrificially um it's just really not enough to do what we're what yeah, we're needing to do. It still do. doesn't
0: amount to as much.
1: Exactly, yet. and so we do receive significant support from the states, and for that I'm incredibly thankful because I think God has very much uh, blessed this. This era in America, for whatever reason, yeah. <laughs> I think sometimes American Americans attribute to themselves and what they've done. <laughs> yeah. But there just is a, there are a lot of resources, and there are a lot of people who are stewarding those in amazing ways, and 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 is, and God's able to use that. So my question then is: Is that just a, a factual reality that there's a disparity, and because of that, there's an ongoing obligation on the part of the rich Christian countries to be able to support God's work in in poorer Christian countries? Uh, or poorer countries with christian communities or is the ultimate goal to be able to find a way for those churches to be more self-sustaining mm-hmm. and one of the things that we 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 do through link across is we work with so for instance there's a project that that I'm engaged in right now through link across where there's a pastor of an albanian church whose parents have a house that happens to be in a uh, an unesco heritage site so it's a beautiful basically castle up on a hill that has like a hundred houses in it and it's one of the top destinations tourist destinations in albania and they've approached us as link across and basically with the idea of we would love to convert this house into like a hostel or an airbnb or something and then ultimately with the profits of that be able to help sustain this church mm. um, financially yeah so i love every aspect of that i love that they've approached us because we have some of the business know-how to be able to uh, and and some of the logistical okay, let's do a business plan. Let's figure out financial projections and make this work. Uh, So I love that thinking, but I guess what I'm saying is uh, ultimately I'm still wrestling through is there an end goal, an ideal, or is it just more understanding the reality as it is currently in in the world right now and encouraging uh, those that God has blessed to steward uh, well. And maybe it's both and. (laughs) Because I know,
0: I imagine you're probably wrestling through the question is kind of like that there's that book When Helping Hurts. Yeah, almost like, how is it? Uh, sometimes to is is it going to be helpful long term for for one party to be dependent on another financially, or is that going to stunt and have and have repercussions in other dimensions? Yeah. So I I don't necessarily have the answer to that. I think and that,
1: and I yeah. I I haven't read it, but there's 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 a counter book that was published. Hmm. Um. It I forget the name of, it, but it's it's when helping and then it's not hurts, but it would be the opposite of whatever that is. And it basically goes point by point and saying. Almost, maybe, the more the argument of there's an obligation on the part of those that God has given much to to steward that well. Yeah. And we should focus on that, should be primary as opposed to uh, just saying, well, figure out a way for it to, to, to work because our money is limited <laughs> in right. this, in the yeah. West.
0: Yeah. I mean, th- think about that. I think about the same thing with some of the churches in parts of our city, Milwaukee, um, mm. like one of our partner churches on the north side they're they they can not pay their pastors full time mm. so is you know like what does that look like for them so yeah. yeah
1: and what does that look like for us then do we have an obligation right yeah
0: yeah and so working through those kind of same questions here yep. um what would be some of the strengths of the albanian christian culture that we can learn from as well or yeah. or maybe even the weaknesses mm. cuz i don't want it to just be dunking on yeah. our american context and i mean we might have some strengths you mentioned resources but what would be some of the strengths and weaknesses yeah. that you experience on the other side of the pond.
1: I think that there is a, a depth of faith that only uh, a situation where there may, they may be experienced because they're experiencing in many cases, a social, um, ostracization or families who have rejected them. There's a faith that that creates. Um, so people who, because of their faith have been rejected by family members the result is that oftentimes that they're, they're, the faith that they have in the Lord, the depth of that faith, and then the trust that they have in the Lord, I think often is I don't see in the States a lot. I don't see in my own life. Yeah, uh, I was raised in a Christian uh, home, and I've never struggled with assurance of faith. That's just not something I've struggled with. But just the immediacy of prayer as as a as as something that they would fall back to, like an to. instinct, instinct, yeah. absolutely. Um, so that's a huge, that's a that's a that's a massive positive of kind of cauldron of of suffering and difficulties in their life has has produced a faith that is very genuine and and quite deep. Um, I, I think that. Another positive uh, is the fact that Albania, and I don't think actually I mentioned this, but Albania is majority Muslim. It's a majority Muslim country. And because there are uh, more than a few believers, it's, it's not massive, but there are more than a few believers, they are able to start sending missionaries to places that Western missionaries would not be able to easily go. Hmm. And so they've been sending missionaries to places like Turkey. Uh, that's kind of been the, the, the main place. They've also been sending missionaries to a place like Bosnia, other Muslim countries in the area, even starting to, to, to think about sending to the Middle East. And an Albanian uh, who maybe grew up as a Muslim— but as a believer now is going to have a, a different impact and then also just practically have a different opportunity from a visa standpoint right. to get into some of yeah. these countries. So that's, a, that's a, a rich opportunity that the Lord has given the Albanian church.
0: Yeah, that's super neat. Um, maybe as a final kind of segment, um, I, I'd love to pick your brain, let you kind of speak to us on how you might challenge um, someone from our church or someone listening here About how they can think about missions, like what Mm. what would you how would you encourage someone to think about missions, or um, might be thinking about doing missions themselves, like Mm. how would you encourage them to do that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I guess the first thing I would say is, uh, as someone who came from, uh, let's say, the the secular workplace, uh, don't feel like a second class citizen as a second class Christian, because. You are spending the vast majority of your week uh, working as an accountant in the suburbs, working uh, behind the cash register at Subway, working as a plumber, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That's that is uh, a field that God has uh, given you. Yeah. And in fact, you are, are operating in that C zero range, right? Meaning there's no cultural distance between you and your coworkers. Yeah. God's given you an opportunity to be able to 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 uh, be a witness to them, and I think of also even if there's some C1 or some C2 opportunities, maybe meaning there may be people that God places in your ordinary life uh, who are maybe immigrants coming in, right? Yeah. So in Milwaukee, there's a huge Rohingya community that's come. Yep. Um, God is bringing the uh, the nations uh, to America, and so. If you don't sense the Lord calling you to go, uh, that is that's fine. He's bringing the nations here. Be be faithful where God has placed you, and maybe a prereq- prerequisite is that you sense God's calling where you currently are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that you do believe God has placed you where you are. Yeah. Now, if you do sense God maybe doing a, a work in your heart and specifically calling you two missions um i I would say uh make sure that if you're married that both husband and wife are are feel the exact same way i i know of more than a few missionaries who ultimately end up leaving the field and when you really get down to the root issue it's because they maybe weren't both 100% on board right um and then I would also say take some uh, take baby steps. So if that means you take a vision trip for a, a week or two um, to a country that you might sense uh, you know an affinity with, or you know some people there, uh, that's worth every <laughs> uh, hour and uh, penny that you invest in that. Um, I, on that on that front, I would also say don't feel like you need to have a specific calling to a specific people group. Or a specific country, uh, I relate this to in the business world. Entrepreneurs, uh, I think so many entrepreneurs will start a business, maybe in an industry that they're not passionate about. If there's innovation in the waste management uh, field, do you think those people are are like are enthusiastic and passionate about waste management? No, they see a need and they respond to that that need and opportunity. Uh, and I think in some ways there could be an analogy to the, the missions world. I just don't wouldn't want someone to say, ah, I mean, I really sense the Lord calling me, but I don't know. I don't sense a strong love for the Romanian people or for the Chinese people. So because of that, I'm going to wait till he specifically,
0: yeah, you know, makes like a country over spiritualizing it. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and so. Uh, And then the last thing I would say is uh, trust in the Lord every step of the way. Uh, Don't assume that you're going to experience what I think I've referred to as like 747 uh, transformation, meaning thinking that just because you get on a Boeing 747 and you go to the mission field for the first time, that all of a sudden there's going to be this transformation in who you are, in the sins that you struggle with, in your sanctification. You're the same person that you were before. Uh, And so... Understand that you're not gonna, <laughs> you're not gonna all of a sudden gain. Uh, you're gonna gain opportunities to be able to to trust the Lord in, in new and different ways, mm-hmm. but you're not going to gain, you know, automatically go to the next level of sanctification. <laughs> yeah. Like you just boost.
0: Like I think that those video games are like, they just get enough XP and do like boost up. Yeah. Um, in many ways, like ministry, I haven't served as a cross-cultural missionary, but I imagine it's, there's parallels, at least in this respect, like those difficulties in missions will just, um, it could exacerbate any character problems that are there, and so rather than assuming, oh, this will kind of solve anything because I'll be more dedicated, it probably probably do the reverse. So you want to make sure you're ready in that respect.
1: Absolutely, and uh, there are many great mission organizations uh, out there to be able to partner with. I think personally, my um, I love mission organizations that ultimately also. Uh, truly believe that it's the local church that's sending out but that the mission organization has unique uh, skill sets that have been developed uh, and specialization that's been developed over many decades to be able to do the type and provide the type of support that most local churches can't provide but not supplant the the role of a local yeah. uh church and a an So the church.
0: church sends but the mission organization can help with things like vetting and training Correct. and things like that yeah um what would you how might you encourage someone who says that they they don't really find themselves thinking too much about cross cultural mission work and missionaries like in order for it to be something that's more on their mind mm. something that they're thinking about more regularly praying about
1: yeah uh there, there has been a, a huge increase in short-term missions over the last couple decades, mm. and I think there have been uh, many unfortunate repercussions of that. I think there have also been tremendous, uh, a tremendous work that's happened in the hearts of many people who have taken part in those mission strips. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of those aspects has been that I think many people, they leave a part of their heart. The, uh, in the place that they visited, or with the missionaries that they uh, visited, yeah. and so I do think that if you do, if you find yourself not thinking about um, missions a whole lot, um, I don't think there's going to be some magic book you're going to read that all of a sudden's going to uh, give you a love for that. Although perhaps a missionary biography could help. I do think that if you are able to take a, a, a trip preferably through your local church, preferably with maybe a a missionary that you're going to have more regular contact with because maybe your local church supports them. And you know that you're going to be involved in a work that ultimately pushes the work of the local missionary forward without too much collateral damage. I know these are a lot of disclaimers, but I'm just saying that there is a way that short-term missions can be done well. I would encourage you to do that because I think that all of a sudden your worldview is going to be expanded and you're going to see God's work uh, outside the borders of the U.S. in a way that you haven't before, and if that spurs you to pray for for those people, uh, those missionaries in that country, uh, for for the for, for the foreseeable future, praise God, praise yeah. God.
0: Yeah, I, I like what you said before too, where it's um, it reminded me. I'm going back a little bit, but it reminded me of how in the Reformation you had folks like Martin Luther reminding believers that it's not merely like. The clergy, so to say, who do mm-hmm. the ministry, but every single person is the, the shoemaker, the plumber, you know, um, what's that nursery rhyme, the the, the candlestick maker and all oh. that like, kind of stuff. <laughs> like they're all called to be, they're all called to do ministry and they're even in our employment, in our vocations, like that is it, we can do that as unto the Lord, as Paul says in Colossians, and we can offer those things up to God. Um, and we have opportunities, the church is a missionary people. We have opportunities to be sharing the gospel even in our own context. And so we shouldn't, as you said, feel like second-class citizens just because we're not a paid pastor or a um, cross-cultural missionary. And yet it also is something I think we should all think about, is like, is God calling me to that? Um, you, know, you never know what God will do or, and the skills that God will use um, cause he will call some of us to do that. And so it, it reminds exciting. me
1: of what, um, Dan has said multiple times, which is every year he goes before the Lord and says, Lord, d- do you want me to be sent out? Yeah. And just making sure that's something that you continually come to the Lord with, um, I think is, uh, is, is a very wise thing to do. And I think many times he'll say, no, um, the last point I would make is this. I in all honesty I do think it it is easier I've reflected and it's easier for me to share my faith in Albania than it was for me to share my faith here in Milwaukee in the previous life I had. Hmm. And I think what that underscores is that it it is difficult to 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 feel like and to be uh, that that you are an ambassador for the Lord here in the states in your job and to have the uh, the, the, the courage to be able to speak up. Um, I don't know. I'm still trying to wrestle through why I feel more comfortable <laughs> in yeah, Albania yeah, doing that. Yeah. But I do. And so, but but don't let that be a hindrance. In fact, let that be an encouragement that, um, that God will use you uh, if if you are bold for him in the, the job and the sector that he has you.
0: Maybe we'll just close with, if you could just provide us some prayer requests, ways that if someone's listening to this you know, now or years to come when they come across a section, what are some ways that they might jot down to be praying for you guys regularly?
1: Sure. Uh, and I'll, I'll keep them general, not like, you know, time specific type of requests, Yeah, but I, I I do, uh, I would ask for prayer just for, uh, our kids and for missionary kids in general. Uh, I think sometimes for mom and dad, it's, uh, we we felt a very specific call by the Lord to to uh, leave our lives here and to start a new life uh, abroad. I think sometimes our kids um, they didn't really have a vote in the matter. Yeah. That being said, if God is calling mom and dad, God's calling the whole family, and so I do affirm that. But do pray for missionary kids. It can be difficult to um, always feel like you're saying goodbye you know, saying hi and then goodbye. And that's what I'm seeing with our kids now. Um, they've made friends and now they've done this enough where they're recognizing, OK, now we got to leave again. Um, and also then not totally knowing where home is. Um, Albania feels like home, but it's not totally home. And America kind of feels like home, but it's not totally home. And that's where you get this phrase third culture kid. It's this third culture that's kind of a mix of the, the, the home and the uh, foreign culture. Uh, So pray for missionary kids, um, and ours specifically, Jude, Olivia, and Liam. Uh, Pray for God's continued work among the Albanian church. Pray for depth. Pray for unity. And pray that um, as we start thinking through maybe church planting in other locations, um, when is that time when a church is stable enough (laughs) where maybe the pastor— Uh, can then go and start another church uh, and plant elsewhere. I don't think we're there yet, but it's definitely something we want to be thinking Mm -hmm. about. So pray for that. Um, And I I think finally pray specifically for the Albanians in Macedonia, um, as there is no Christian community and the uh, Islam that they practice is much, much stronger and stricter than the Islam that is practiced in Albania. And because of that, much more persecution uh, so those are, those are the three prayer requests uh, specifically.
0: Great. Well, thanks, Jeff, for coming on and sharing with us. And yeah, I, I guess we pray that this podcast is an encouragement to others who are listening to it as they think about God's work around the globe, how they can uh, partner in that either as um, one of the members of your sending church and having mm-hmm. a having a partnership in the gospel ministry you're doing over in Albania Um, as well as thinking about their own potential call to missions and more opportunities to be aware of what you guys are doing and praying for you guys. Thanks. Thank you, Kirk.